Friends, uh, there's a miscommunication on that uh, newsletter, um, so I apologise for that. We did have a guest speaker we were actually going to get in. Uh, sadly, he wasn't able to come today, so we reschedule it for later on uh, in our series. It's going to be in between our judges series, actually. So this morning, uh, as I've been uh, thinking and praying about what to share with you, uh, I feel the Lord led me to a particular passage. We're going to go to a particular passage in the Old Testament. Uh, it's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. So 1 Chronicles chapter 28. If you are new to the Christian faith, uh, if you are unsure where 1 Chronicles is, uh, you can, if you've got a physical Bible, there's this wonderful thing called Contents Page. Just go there, you'll find it. It's 1 Chronicles. Or if you've got an app, it'll say 1 Tror, Tror. That's C-H-O-R on there, and that's Chronicles for you. Uh, if you are someone who's exploring the Christian faith, unsure about what I'm talking about, that's okay. Just have a listen. We're glad that you made the time to come this morning. We pray that God will reveal or continue to reveal himself as we have been singing, being reminded about the gospel, and now as we hear from his word. So 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we're actually going to park ourselves firstly, sorry, chapter 29, not chapter 28, my apologies. Chapter 29, verses 10 to 18. Here is God's word. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? What is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house. For your holy name comes from your hand, and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasures in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people. Direct their hearts towards you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your mighty and gracious throne this morning. We ask that you would encounter us wherever we are at, whatever season of life we're at this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd make these words come alive and enable us to apply these truths. Jesus, I pray that you'll be front and center. The sermon belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you've grown up in the Christian church, you most probably have heard about this guy called David. Uh, you would have heard one of the most famous stories about David and Goliath. Uh, he's a guy who's written a lot of the Old Testament. He was a musician, a poet, 
Uh, he was a king. If you're exploring the Christian faith, I want you to know the story or this particular person I'm talking about is not some made-up character. He actually existed. He's a historical figure. He is a historical figure, particularly in the Old Testament. He has a significant part of the Bible was written by him. He was a king, like I said. He was a man, much of his life, had significant turmoil, constantly in battles. People were trying to kill him as a king. He was also described as a man after God's own heart. In other words, he was a man about the things of God, mostly. You can look into his life, and he didn't obviously get that right perfectly often, but he would always turn back to God even when he dropped the ball. He was a great king, but he definitely was not a perfect king. So David is, in his season of life, he's coming to the end of his reign. And he has a desire. If you can just imagine, maybe he's gone out again into the courtyard, and he's looking and he's seeing his palace. And all of a sudden he looks across and he sees this tent. The tent where the presence of God is meant to dwell in the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, the particularly uh, thing that the Israel, uh, Israelites carried with them. And David thinks to himself, here I am in this place, in this palace, and there is God and his presence living in a tent. So he resolves in his heart to build, to build a temple to be a place where God's presence now dwells. And so in 1 Chronicles 28, verses 1 to 3, God has a response to him. So David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions that serve the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, the stewards of all the property and livestock of the king and his sons, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for a building. But God said to me, You may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. God's response to David is, there's quite a bit of depth of um, uh, conversation between God and David. You can actually read that in other passages in the Old Testament. But in this passage, God's response is no. Your hands have blood. You've shed a lot of blood. You are a man of war. You're not a king of peace. So, David decides and resolves in the heart, if you want to use modern day terms, he does a fundraising drive to raise funds. He doesn't do a sausage sizzle. He rallies everyone and calls everyone to bring things towards the building of this temple for this particular cause. And people come, and they come gladly to give to build for this temple. So friends, this morning, it is my joy and pleasure to introduce to you the fundraising plan for a stage what I've called 2.5. If you have not grown up in this church, you've heard this thing called stage one, stage two. Those who planted this church always had a desire to build another building. So when you read this passage, some of us are already going, oh, here we go. This is the, the fundraising plan for stage, I'm calling it 2.5. So I've um, asked some artists 
to uh, please bring before you this particular diagram of what the building is going to look like. It's up here on the screen. It's the next slide. <coughs> Just to clarify, if you're wondering, that's the Taj Mahal. It already exists. It's a beautiful building. If you've never been there, I would encourage you to go. And the other thing is that's um, built by a guy who worships a different god. But anyway... <coughs> Just letting you know that that's not what we're doing today. I'm not here to tell you about stage whatever you end up calling it, 2 or 2.5 or whatever. I know there's lots of jokes going around. What I want to do this morning is for us to consider two things. Please take that picture off. Uh, that'd be great. <laughs> I want us to consider two things based on this passage. Firstly, who is God? And secondly, whose is it anyway? Firstly, who is God? verse 10, it says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You're exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. To David, who is God to him? God is his Father. And this is a powerful statement, particularly to make in the Old Testament. That David saw and knew that God, the creator of the universe, the God who has been with him through his whole life, and has seen him continually care for him, love him and provide for him is his father, not just his own, but his whole nation's father. He says that God is the one who owns everything, everything. In summary, he's sort of saying he's the true king. He's the one who uh, everything comes from because he rules it all. And it is God himself who chooses to make things great and give strength to all. And now this is a man who personally knows this and has experiences in his own life. And what is his response as he gazes and remembers who God is? Thankfulness, our God, and praise of his name in verse 13. See, for King David, his view of God shaped everything in his life. Even in the midst of his brokenness and sin, his view of God shaped everything in his life. And friends, that is no different for you and I today in 2018. How we view who God is will shape how we live our lives today. See, I think in our default thinking in human beings, particularly, we automatically think we have ownership on stuff. We have ownership on certain things whether if it's physical things or relationships, whatever it is, we tend to feel of ownership, it's mine. So when we sow, when we give, when we invest, when we build, when we tear down, we develop, sell, as we build relationships with one another, we just got to this sense of it's mine. In my home, there are three significant value things or things of great value to me. One, my beautiful wife. Second, my kids. Third, my coffee machine. 
if there was a fire. I would go for my wife and kids for sure. Some of you are doubting, but it's true. Then maybe the coffee machine. Now, this was challenged recently, not recently, a while back. We had some friends over for a meal. I was making coffee, and I had to go do something, and I walked away from my coffee machine. And I came back into the kitchen. And this guest that we had invited, who we're not friends with anymore, but came... <coughs> no, that's not true. We are. He had gone and helped himself to the coffee machine. He already owns the same one, and he knows how to use it, but he was using my coffee machine. And something inside me went, what are you doing? That's mine. I own that. Friends, I don't know if you can relate to that silly illustration in other things. But here's the thing. If you're a follower of God, if you believe in the God of the universe, you believe in the God of the Bible, guess what? He is our true king. He owns everything. And in some sense, Jesus walked into my house. I'll probably fall down and worship him. But he has every right to everything in my home, including that silly coffee machine. See, but unlike the kings of the world, and even King David, this God of the universe is not some impersonal, faraway God. He is our Father. And that's how David describes him. But a Father who is so over and abundantly generous with you and I. Do you see that in the verses? But who am I? In verse 14, what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and you, are, you own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners. All our fathers were, our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there's no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. So church, whose is it anyway? See, in this moment, David has just described who God is. And then he's explaining both to those who would have been listening at that time and even to us. Ultimately, all things come from God. He's saying, hey, we've bought these things to you, but they already belong to you. They're already yours. At the start of this year, in 2018, the ABC television network ran a pro, um, sort of like advertising campaign. And this was the symbol up here on the screen. And what they were trying to convince people watching or trying to say to people is to say, hey, your, this television network is yours. You own it. And I think, I'm not going into all the politics about the ABC network, what I'm saying to you is it's sort of trying to convince you and I or try to tell you or preach to you or preach to you a sermon that this network belongs to you. Does it really belong to you? Really? I get the kind of the politics of it, 
But maybe that's why some of us cry out when we see things changed and so on. But it doesn't really belong to you. There are key stakeholders who are influencing these television networks. Not just the ABC. People who are in charge and ruling with the ABC political parties. Even those shows that you watch, that you and I watch, when they're strategically placed, what they call product placements. And all of a sudden you're going, I think I need that iPad. Look how cool that looks on that person. Oh, I need that particular clothes. I wonder where they got that from. Oh, funny, they show the label as well. All these little things being told to you, it's not actually yours. It's not mine. You can blank that slide too, by the way. Friends, we need to remember. I need to remember. Church family, we need to remember. Anything that we have, anything that we invest, Anything that we sell, anything we give, trade, build, tear down, even our very relationships that we have, ultimately all belong to God. It's His. That means on the very practical sense, when you and I give to God for His purposes, we cannot give with strings attached. It's already His. This is why David says, I think, but who am I, God? I mean, who are we? If you want to use modern day terms, it's like saying, God, we're bringing these gifts to you to build the temple, but in some sense, all we're really doing is re-gifting to you what's already yours. You already have ownership over this. This is why David says in verse 15, For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there's no abiding. O Lord, our God. All this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. David is declaring very openly and clearly that he is finite. Not alone his legacy is finite, but the one he serves, the one God, the creator of the universe is not like that. He is eternal. And his very own legacy is actually not dependent on you and me or in David. Because God himself owns everything. So friends, how do we, how do I, see what we bring before God as an offering? How do we see the place that we live? How do we see the place that we work? How do we see that statement when we get our earnings? How do we see the kids that God has blessed us with? How do we see the friendships that God has given us? How do we see even this building and the community that God has placed us to witness to? How do we see those investments that we make? How do we see the gifts that he's given us and the talents, the way that he's wired you and I? How do we see the various seasons of our lives? How do we see these things ultimately have been given by God, for God? As we return to him, what is already his, we need to remember he is the one who says, it's mine. I've given it to you. Up here on the screen, there's a quote by a guy called Abraham Cooper. He's a Dutch theologian. And he says, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who's sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And I think... My guess is for those of us who've grown up in the Christian church, we may know this. Yeah, I know God's sovereign, God's control, and you know, it's his, we get that. 
But it's very easy to fall back and forget that, is it not? Or is it just me? I mean, this happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I was meeting with another pastor who uh, serves in another church, and we were just walking in the car park. And he says to me these words, um, we're good mates, and so he's like, bro, look at the car park. Look how much property you have. I'm like, yeah, I know. How awesome is it? Yeah, man, look at all the stuff you guys have. I'm like, yeah, I know. I have this thought, and I believe it was the Lord through the Spirit saying, it's not yours. It's mine. I had to repent with my friend and to the Lord. God, this is yours, not mine, not ours. And in many ways, what the people of Israel are doing, if you want to use modern-day terminology, that's what they're doing. They're, they're giving funds to a building project for the temple. It was significant for them, but it's almost like them just re-gifting what is actually God's anyway. And David says in this prayer, or this psalm in some sense, to God, God, the uprightness in our hearts. And friends, when you and I look at this passage, it's easy for us to go. It's quite confronting, isn't it? And there's one way we can face this. Oh, I need to suck it up and try harder. But see, this is the reality. As the story of the Bible continues, and we can't do this in our own strength, in our own will, unless we look to the one who will empower us to do this. The one who is the true king. The one who uh, David explains in, this, uh, chron- in 1 Chronicles and other places about his kingdom being established forever. And David's not alive. There's only one king who would come after him, the true king. This king whose kingdom will be established forever and ever and ever. That is Jesus Christ. God sends his one and only son the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. Even in that very act, you see the grace and love of a gracious Father who's willing to sacrifice His only Son so that you and I could have a relationship with Him. The one whose hands definitely had no blood on it, sinless, perfect, who becomes bloodied on a cross for you and I sacrificed so that you and I can approach the throne of the holy God. Not through a building. Not through a temple. Because on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, where does the dwelling place of God decide to reside? The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. This is a reminder to you and I, for those of us who belong to Jesus, we are not our own. When we ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, not does he alone give you eternal life, he says, you belong to me. I lead you. I love you. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the God's very presence comes and lives in you. He resides in your heart and my heart because the price has been paid. That means even the very use of our own bodies should declare glory to God. 
We are not on our own. We belong to Him. That means that the things that we own belong to Him. That means your workplace now takes a new uh, view. That workplace is actually not yours. It's His for you to be His ambassador. I mean, even the very use of your own bodies now are to glorify God. All things belong to Him. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is who Jesus is. Everything belongs to him. He has ownership over everything, including your life, my life, Everything that he's given us. He's the one who himself holds the breath in our lungs. And this is why then we give back to him what's already his. Do you know what this means? This means, just as David talked about, there's in this Old Testament language this constant thing about being sojourners and exiles and all this kind of language that's been carried into the New Testament, knowing that if you have a relationship with Jesus... If he's the Lord of your life, that means this is not your home. You're a sojourner. You're an exile. That's why we can live, as God says, giving back to him what's already his. It's all his. This means that when you and I get something like a good mate of mine, she's a missionary in Singapore. And she did this illustration for me along it stuck with me. And many of you might have heard it before. Someone shared similar to you. If you can imagine as you open up your bank statement or you look at your house or you look at your kids, whatever you're thinking and asking the Lord and say, Lord, can I please have this? And the Lord gives this to you. And we cling on to it. What the illustration God wants us to see is open hand because it belongs to him. It's always been his. And he chooses to give it or take it away. Give it or take it away. Because he of who he is, the good father, his actions are always just and right. This means that when you and I look at our kids, we see them as gifts lent to us to disciple them, to be followers of Christ. That when we come together as a church in this building, we know that the very presence of God lives in us through His Spirit. Our hope is not in a building, but in Christ who died for us. So friends, firstly, do you know this God? That's where we would love for you. If you are not someone who has no idea what I'm talking about, who this God is, that's where we would love for you to explore first. If a friend brought you here, ask those questions. We'd love for you to unpack who this God is. Secondly, if you do know this God through Christ, by the power of His Holy Spirit, live in such a way with the knowledge 
everything is His, then maybe we need to ask, God, how do you want me to live? This means maybe simply this week, rather than looking at all the things that you don't have, maybe pause for a moment and consider the things God has given you because of who He is and spend some time thanking Him. This means that the ministries that we run are His. I was reflecting on this this week. What a sad day would be the Lord chose to give me to 80 or 90 years old that I was still the lead pastor of this church. I, 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 that would be really sad because it's his ministry, not mine. May we grow to be a church that constantly remembers it all belongs to him. And because of Christ and what he's given us, we can live in such a way through his spirit. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate, wonderful example, the true king who gave all, even his very life, so that we can have a relationship with the Father of the universe, the God, the creator of the universe. And with that in mind, help us to live lives through the power of your spirit, not holding on to things as if they are ours, but with an open hand, for it all belongs to you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.